welcome to the Connection Church Dublin Sermon Podcast. Our mission is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. One of the ways we do that is through the preaching of God's Word, centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's this week's message. We're in our series, Real Authentic Faith, looking uh, in the book of James, and, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about fatherhood, but I want to quickly recap you uh, on what we've been doing, okay? And so the book of James is written by Jesus' half-brother, uh, and it is one of the most, uh, I, I guess, more in-your-face books of the New Testament, right? A lot of the Bible is a lot of uh, pointing to Jesus and the why, right? Of, of why do we follow God? Why do we pray? Why do we worship? And, and we look at what Jesus has done not so much what we do first. Does that make sense? So, so listen, to have a relationship with God, our Father, uh, it starts by having uh, faith in Christ, that we are saved by grace. That is God's unmerited favor on us. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone. Okay? Nothing you will ever do will merit God's love for you. He proved that uh, through Christ on the cross. If you want to know if God loves you today, maybe you're struggling and I want you to know that I know that Father's Day is not a happy day for everyone. It's probably a difficult day for most, right? Whether that be your own uh, father or maybe something you're going through in your own life. But this is what I want you to know, that even the best earthly father is simply a shadow of our heavenly father's love for you. And if you ever doubt that, man, look at Christ on Calvary. That he would sacrifice his own son to adopt me and you and to make a way for us. And you're like, well, man, how do I have a relationship with his father? It's through faith in his son. Not how good you are, but how good he has been and proved that on the cross, right? And so we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. But when we come to faith in Christ, we are transformed inwardly, right? We get a new heart. We get God's Holy Spirit. And guess what? When we come to faith in Christ, our destination is now heaven, but we don't poof like teleport there. You guys tracking? Like, like we've got a life to live out. And what James is doing is he's really addressing these new Christians that are very Jewish, they're very religious, they would have understood the law. And he's saying, hey, I'm gonna teach you like how to live this out, right? This is how to do it because you're not living in accordance with the faith you claim. And so now I've got to address some things. I've got to correct some things. Uh, if you missed it week one, when we've been sermon prepping this on Thursdays, uh, I call it throat punch Thursday, right? Because James is like all up in our kitchen. He's talking about some practical things. And so um, last week we talked about not being hearers of the word, but now doers. And now we pick up in chapter 2, verse 1. Read with me. It says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ must not, <clears throat> must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, oh, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, he has, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, as you are doing right. 
But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. It says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Uh, God, we pray. Uh, I pray as your word's been read. Lord, I, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you lead me in this teaching of the word? Would I preach with clarity, uh, full of wisdom and in truth? Uh, God, I pray that anything in me that would uh, hinder that, I pray you would remove it. And God, that you would open our hearts, open our eyes to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the title in my section says, Favoritism uh, Forbidden. And so I've got to share a little bit of a story. Uh, I'm thankful, man. My, my family and I got blessed with a cabin for a couple nights, and, and we got to go to the mountains, okay? And so something about me, uh, I'm a mountain man. I think the first time I watched Jeremiah Johnson, I knew. I knew in that moment that, man, in a different life, I would be him, okay? And so there's just something about a cup of coffee and looking over uh, a misty mountain. Can anybody just agree with that? Um, okay, no one. A few, okay, that's it. Uh, well, you guys have fun at the beach, I'll be up top, okay? But listen, um, you, you know, I just love the mountains. And maybe because I'm up on a hill, I'm closer to God. I, I, don't, I don't quite know how that works, but I love how the Lord speaks to me. And, and I just got some time just to spend time with God and with my family. And this was really the first time, I, I have three small children uh, a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a three-year-old. And it's really the first time Carly and I got away without like any grandparents with us. Now that is good, and that is difficult, okay? Um, and I learned that really, really quickly. And, uh, and man, like I, I realized that they're all excited, man. They're bouncing off the walls. They're fired up. And, uh, and man, I realized real quickly that being alone with your kids for three days, uh, it, it has its, its strains. You guys tracking? I'm gonna share a few with you and, and thinking about uh, my, my children, now, I love my children deeply, but I have a tendency, they do sometimes get on my nerves a little bit, right? Uh, and so I think about Bella, and man, I see so much of myself in Bella. Of Bella, like if she's got her mind set on something, you can say something to her three times, and it's like, it didn't hit anything from one ear to the other. I mean, it just went, like went through, I'm like, Bella, don't do blank. Bella, don't do blank. Bella, don't do, Bella, right? Yeah, any parents, can you kind of agree with that or know what I'm talking about? And then Bear, like Bear uh, is the kind of man, and maybe it's a four-year-old thing, I don't know, but while we're laying there watching a movie, uh, he thinks it's a good idea to just do a cannonball on Bella's head. Just a, just a cannonball. I mean, just thought it was a good idea. I don't know. I don't know where that comes from, right? And so I had to discipline Bear, and I'm like, man, why is that? Uh, and then there's Kellyanne, okay? And Kellyanne's three, and uh, Kellyanne um, basically bosses the other two around. I mean, pretty much. So uh, it's like, Kellyanne, no, we need to eat breakfast here. We can't eat it in the car. And man, she just throws down. I mean, just throws down. Like, don't get her way. And, and I'm just like, man, it's just, you just see all these three different personalities in your children, right? And I want you to think about that. And I want you to think about how God a father sees us. And sometimes I'm sure there's things that we do and things about us that, that requires God to have some patience with us. I know he has some with me, right? That's why it says in, in verse number one, it says, my brothers and sisters, 
believers in our glorious Lord, listen to what we are in this house. We are a family church. We are a family and Christ is the head. And so as I look at those things and, and, and I just had some time to reflect as I was going through the strains, I had some time just to, to lay there and watch a, a movie with my kids and, uh, and, and to play board games, to play Monopoly and to do those things. And I thought about how much I love my children. I love Bella's tender heart. I love that she, she loves so hard and so deeply. And I, I pray over her. I'm like, man, I pray that as she loves people that, that, that they would see the love of Christ through her. And I pray for her heart as she loves deeply. That means she's gonna get hurt deeply. And I pray for her, man. I love that about Bella. And then I think about Bear. Bear just has this infectious smile and personality about him, right? If you ever hung out with him, man, he, he's, just, he's just funny. He just makes you laugh. Like he, he drinks coffee like an old man and he has this like, 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 like goofy looking grin and you're just kind of drawn to him. And I love that about him. And I love, I love him at this age. And I pray that that infectious smile draws people and he uses those relationships to point people to Jesus. And then Kellyanne, bless her. Um, there's a bold confidence about her that she knows, man, when she gets her mind set on something, she's gonna do it. Um, and when she sets her heart on something, I'm praying that she sets her heart on Christ. And she leads lots and lots of people to Jesus. And I look, and man, when I look at them, I love them so much, even though they're so different, they're wired so different, but man, I just have so much love that I could never pick a favorite. I'm not gonna pick a favorite. I love them all equally in their unique way. So listen, when it says, that brothers and sisters in Christ, in verse number one, listen, that Jesus, God, is our Father, and he loves us all the same. He does not show favoritism, right? That, that there's none that have this special whatever. No, when he paid for us on the cross, though we may have unique strengths and weaknesses, if we know Christ Jesus is Lord, listen, we are all level at the foot of the cross. And what he's saying in verse one is this, believers in our glorious Lord don't show favoritism. Don't, we must not show favoritism of picking people over others because Jesus didn't do that. And then I had one more moment where before the kids got up and I got some time and I was looking over those mountains and, and I just began to experience the presence of God. And I began to think about all the mistakes in my life. I began to think about how patient God has been with me. And there was just a fresh joy, a fresh love of God thank you that you invited me into your family. And I wanna let you know, a healthy practice for the Christian is for us to go back to those moments and remember who we were before Christ met us. Remember what we've been through and know that, man, you are loved by our Father because, God, I know I'm hard to deal with sometimes, but thank you that you love me and you choose me anyway. And that's our Father. That's this Father's Day. You can know that's who we preach about. That's who wrote these words, is that he has a love for you and a love for the body of Christ. So uh, the main point today, what I want you to see is this. We should live in a way that reflects the love and mercy of Christ by not showing favoritism. Okay, if I had to put it in a catchy phrase, I'm not the catchiest person ever. Uh, we gotta fight the urge to pick favorites. We gotta fight the urge to pick favorites. And that's what James is trying to teach us today. And so what's going on in this passage is that the church, again, uh, these religious people had really cozied themselves up with the world, right? That they wanted to be approved of, they wanted to be acclaimed, and uh, they really wanted to befriend people of power, influence, looks all the things 
so that they could up their status, right? That they were picking favorites instead of taking care of the people God had called them to take care of, right? And so we see him addressing the church if you cannot do that. And so I want to break it down in three simple points. And how do we, uh, how do we, who do we look to to help us keep from picking favorites? Well, it's a simple answer. We got to look to Christ. And so let's talk about that. Uh, Christ does not pick favorites. Christ doesn't pick favorites. And you might want to add on to that. And Christ commands us not to pick favorites. Christ doesn't pick favorites, and he commands us not to pick favorites. Look with me in verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not, not a suggestion, a command, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes uh, into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges? Okay, so first let me uh, explain. Like again, they're, they're cozying up. They're looking to people of the world for approval, right? They're looking for popularity. They are gaining, man. If they had Instagram, they're looking for likes, all right? Um, and, and they want to be approved of and neglecting the very people uh, that, that God had called them uh, to take care of. And so maybe today, as we look to Christ to help us, I want you to see who Christ was before he went to the cross and resurrected. Because maybe today I would almost venture there's someone here that feels rejected. You feel overlooked. You feel like no one would choose you. Right, like if there's you walk into a party and you walk into a gathering, whatever, and, and, and if you're over here and people walk in, they go the other way. Right? You're just not seen, you're not heard. Well, let me encourage you. Christ would have understood you. Uh, Christ would have understood being judged. Christ would have understood being rejected. Christ would have understood feeling like you're too far gone. See, Jesus was judged and rejected. Uh, he grew up in Nazareth, and in fact, it was a, a discriminatory term. They said, man, can anything good come from Nazareth? So he was born in the wrong city, right? So, so they said, man, no, surely nothing good from, could come from Nazareth. Jesus had no formal schooling. He had no education whatsoever, nothing worldly-wise that people would have been like, man, I gotta get near Jesus. Man, I gotta be near Jesus. He grew up this way. Uh, Jesus had no power or position. Jesus had no wealth. He grew up in a middle-class carpenter family. They would have been middle-class at best. It tells us in Isaiah that he had no looks that would have drawn us to him. Now, I know y'all see that, that shiny figure of Jesus, and he looks like handsome and awesome, but that, that might not have been the deal, okay? It says that nothing like drew us to him. Why, man? Because God doesn't see the world the way we see the world, right? And so I want you to know that you are seen by God, and Jesus understands what you're going through. He gets it. Right? And so um, what I want you to know is this. If maybe you've been starving for popularity, you've been starving for approval a lot of your life, I'm going to tell you like he's telling them, don't let the popularity of the world pull you from the purposes of God. Don't let the popularity of the world pull you from the purposes of God. And one thing I want you to know with everyone in here, we all naturally are drawn and attracted to certain people. Every one of us. We, we are all born pulling toward favorites, okay? That's, that's part of that sin DNA we got, that sinful lens. And you're like, well, but how, how can I kind of recognize that? I want you to know we're all drawn to three things. Number one, we're attracted to looks, likeness, and luxury. We're attracted to looks, likeness, and luxury, okay? 
And so let's kind of dive into those. Looks, there's a reason. Uh, a lot of times when people become insta-famous or they become worldly famous, a lot of times there's a natural worldly attraction. And if we've learned anything about uh, Disney, those Disney kids, man, it, it comes with a weight, right? Of being drawn and, and coming to popularity and, and those kind of things of desire. You never can get enough. And so we're drawn to looks. So when we walk into a room, we're gonna start looking at, okay, who looks more attractive to go toward? Right? That's just something in our DNA, okay? The second one is likeness, okay? So these are people that look like us, maybe kind of act like us, uh, people that are in the same socioeconomic type. Um, we just are, uh, gravitate to people that are most like us, okay? And that's not necessarily a, a bad thing until we see that, man, I'm favoring those people that I like more than those I don't. And that's what Jesus is showing us here is that we're attracted to looks, likeness, and then lastly is luxury. Have you ever seen it when, a, when, a, a, you know, when, when someone becomes rich, man, they get a zillion friends. Why? Because they, they just want something for them. They're like, man, maybe this person can give me something. Right? And so uh, this is what would have been happening is that they were cozying up the people that could give them something. Right? Or cozying up the people that, man, I want to move up the, the economic bracket. I'm going to go hang out with them. And what Jesus is saying is that any kind of discrimination based on these things is wrong. Look at verse 4. It says, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil, evil thoughts? And so favoritism and judgmentalism is the throat punch I'm coming with today. It's coming every week, about seven more weeks, right? But those are the two. And so uh, regardless of the motivation for, for favoritism, and let's just call it what it is, a lot of the problems, maybe the, the, the favoritism is based on race, class, of man, I, I just wanna get the people around me that are kind of in that same way of life that I am. Education, gender, maybe some. It's like, man, you don't see uh, male and female as co-equal. Maybe there's uh, some, some upbringing in that. And maybe for some, even Enneagram, that I just wanna hang out with people that are like me. Um, regardless of wherever the likeness comes from, we cannot blame others, we cannot blame society, we cannot blame our upbringing for things that Jesus calls evil. Now, we have to recognize, we have to see what in me has the tendency to reject people that aren't like me and to be around people that, that aren't like me. Uh, AJ preached a phenomenal message a few weeks ago about the beauty of a diverse church, right? That it's a unique picture of heaven. And so when we want to remain comfortable instead of missionally going and engaging people that don't look like us, comfort becomes clicky. Comfort becomes clicky in that we just kind of hover around. We've got the people we want. We've got everything we like. We like it. Let's not mess it up by going to get people that don't look like us, don't act like us. Listen, what we're doing is we are choking out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right, the gospel is for all and that we are commissioned to go in all. That's why this missional DNA, this multiplying groups, this idea of taking new ground for the kingdom is so healthy, man. I'll tell y'all real quick, uh, one of the healthiest small groups I've ever been in, man, I walked in there and if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I wouldn't have hung out with one of them folks, right? One girl says she came to Christ because her cat died and she saw God. That's the night one. Nobody taught, seminary didn't teach me this, right? I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Another, another couple, man, I could, I could, anyway, I'm not even gonna go there. But listen, they're all different. We don't have the time. But man, that was one of the most loving, unique, beautiful experiences of what, God, God, what I believe God had for the church. 
It was one of the most beautiful experiences I ever had. And why? Because, man, there's a beauty when God brings people together that otherwise would never be together. There's a beauty in that. And it's painful. Listen, community and, and going to reach people, it's painful because it makes us uncomfortable. Right? But in that uncomfortability, that's not a word, but I'm going with it. And in that uncomfortability, we find God's grace to help us. And then at the point, right? Not your ability, not my ability, but his ability in us. And when we get uncomfortable, man, that's when we begin to have it. And so Jesus was a friend of sinners, right? He was perfectly righteous, yet he got around people that, that didn't think like him, that weren't motivated by him by, by the same way he was, but he rubbed shoulders with them in order to show them the love of Christ. And I think they lost the picture of that. They wanted to buddy up with people instead of living life on mission and taking care of the orphans and the widows and doing the very things God has called the church to do. And so listen, if you're rubbing shoulders with people that, that maybe make you a little bit uncomfortable, they don't know Christ yet, listen, it's not compromise, it's compassion. It's not compromise, it's compassion that we love God and we love people. But we have to keep our eyes remembering the purpose that in the family of God, we cannot show favoritism, right? And we're gonna get more and more into this. So I want to take this with you. Don't let a desire for popularity cause you to miss your purpose in Christ. That's just so important, man, so good. So how do we do that? Again, uh, we have to see people as Christ sees them. And what I want to show you is this. Christ sees the heart. Christ sees the heart. Uh, read with me, picking up in verse five. It says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are <clears throat> poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? Okay, now listen, this is Jesus talking. Uh, listen to my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Christ sees the heart. It says that God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith. Now, uh, that does not necessarily have to mean finances, right? Like God doesn't go around and say, all right, where are all the poor people? Those are the only people I can use. Let me get them. That's not what he's saying. Uh, poor poverty is this means of spiritual poverty. A lot of times, physical poverty uh, helps it a little easier to become spiritually poverty. You guys tracking? Uh, I know when I've got everything I need, I'm less reliant on God. I know when God has taken everything from me, I'm more reliant on God. But he's not just looking for poor people. He's looking for those that are poor in spirit, that are meek, those that say they need God. And what he's saying is, man, you guys are, are looking the wrong way. You're not looking at people as God sees them. You're looking at them to see what they can give you. And he says, it's just wrong, right? And he says, man, think about when God chose you. Think about the people God has chosen throughout scripture. And man, one of the most powerful prayers we can pray, I want you to take this with you. Pray to God to give you eyes like Christ. That is a power, you can pray that every day. Lord, help give me the lens of Christ. I'm reminded, man, when I was in Little League, a friend of mine, he hit puberty for everybody else. Have you ever been in 11, 12-year-old league? When that happens, one of them kids, they're about to dominate. You guys track him? His name is Will Love. Will, if you're listening, um, man, we never could get you out. But uh, he, he, he hit poverty, and man, it didn't matter where he threw it. I kid you not. One time, we threw one at a shoe top, and he nine-ironed that thing. I'm talking about into another area code. I mean, dude could just hit. But I, and I was like, how are we going to get this guy out? And, he, you know, he was this 
cool, popular dude. But he came and he looked like Dagum Leonardo off the Ninja Turtles. Like he had goggles, like these big, thick goggles. Dude couldn't see a lick, right? But man, when them goggles came on, he became Superman, okay? Man, he could see that ball and man, he could crank it out of the park. And I remember thinking, if I could just take those goggles, we'd whip the shepherd, right? But listen, you become powerful for the kingdom when you put on the lens of Christ. You're gonna see in a better perspective to become effective. Right? And, and I want you to think about how God sees people. Because maybe today you're thinking, man, Christ couldn't see me. He couldn't use me. Christ couldn't use the people in my life. Listen, you don't know who I surround myself with. Buck, you don't know what I've done. God couldn't use someone like me talking about being a good dad. I can't be a good dad. Look at what I've done, whatever this may be. This is what I struggle with. Let me walk you through how Jesus saw people. You know, Noah was a drunk, and God called him to build a bridge to save his family. Abraham was a liar, lied twice about his wife. Sarah's a better woman than most. She stuck with him, and God brought about a family of Jews through Abraham. Moses was scared to death, right? And he ran for 40 years. Moses was a coward, and God saw fit to use him for great purposes. Gideon was a weak man. He was a runt, okay? He was a weak man from the weakest family, and God used him to bring about the deliverance of Israel. David was a runt, man. His dad was embarrassed of him. He wouldn't even put him in front of the prophet. He was a runt. Surely he couldn't be used by him, but God sees different than man sees. He looks at the heart. Uh, we're gonna keep going. Simon was a scummy fisherman. Fishermen have done the same thing throughout history. Like they're scruffy looking, they cuss a lot, and nobody likes them, right? Man, that's just fishermen. And man, he brought about the rock, the pillar that he built the church on out of a fisherman. Man, if you're a fisherman, man, I love you. I'm just joking, okay? It's a joke. And then let's go to the woman at the well for a second. The world saw an adulterer. Christ saw a daughter. So Lord, teach us to see people how you see them. Because see, this is the deal. The world sees pity where Christ sees potential. The world sees pity where Christ sees potential. Pity, man, oh man, they're too far gone. Um, We're prone to judge people by their past and not for their future. That's important. We're, judged, we're prone to judge people by their past and not what they could be in Christ. That's why we don't stay with people and we can't continue to write people off believing they could never change. This is what I love. I'm just gonna encourage our, our church for a second here. I grew up where people say, bless your heart a lot. You ever heard that? Bless their heart. You know what they mean? They're, they'll never get it. <laughs> you know, oh man, I've heard what they've done. Bless their heart. Bless their heart. And it's, it's, like, it's like, man, I hope they get it, but they really won't. There's no belief. Man, I know what they've done. I know their past. They could never come to faith in Christ. They're bless your heart people. Oh, bless their heart, bless their heart. Listen, God's been saving bless your heart people for five years in here. You guys with me? He's been saving people that the world would write off, right? The judgmentally saying they'll never get it. Listen, the church is growing and we're reaching people not by what they've done, but who they are in Christ. And they have a heart to receive and be forgiven. Let's go back religion and relationship. Your merit in Christ is not what you have done, but it's surrendering and receiving what he has done for you. And man, there's some powerful weapons for Christ when we get meek and say, God, I need you. And that's just true. So, um, so what he's saying here is this, is that remember, remember that God has chosen those that were poor in the eyes of the world to inherit the kingdom. Verse six, he's telling you, but you are dishonoring the poor. You're dishonoring the very people that God may be wanting to reach through you. You're dishonoring them. 
Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are the rest of verse six, are they not the ones dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? A lot of times what's causing the poor trouble are the rich unbelievers. He's saying, man, you're wanting to buddy up the people that are causing my people grief. Man, I want you to recognize that. So, So take this with you, okay? Ask the Lord for eyes to see how he sees. Pray for the lens of Christ. I just want to reiterate that. Lord, give us eyes to see people as you see them. Then he picks up in verse eight. It says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, key word, love your neighbor as yourself. Here they again, love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. For if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Christ commands us to love people. Okay? Christ commands us to love people. And there's a period at the end of that. Okay? Christ commands us to love people. He says, well, but how do I help do this? How do I, how do I fight the, the, the urge to judge? How do I fight the urge to show favoritism? Um, it's, it's loving people. It's seeing people not for where they are, seeing them for who they could be in Christ. Not seeing people for where they are, where they could be in Christ. That we just love people. I've shared this many times, okay? I was won to Christ through love, not through judgment. I was won to Christ by someone who, who buddied up with me, intentionally built a relationship with me, loved me, lived out the Bible in front of me, and I was won to Christ, through love. It wasn't through judgment, right? And so, man, it's, it's love that does it. Paul said this, it's the love of Christ that compels us. Man, it's the love of God. It's receiving and remembering what he's done for us, going back to it over and over, getting our cup filled up with love. And God, thank you for how you've loved me. God, thank you for how you continue to love me. And God, as you fill me up with your love, let me pour out this love into the world. But let's go back. If we're not getting our cup filled up, we don't have love to give. Dads, if we're not being loved by God, you remember I said being intentional, being here? As we're being loved by God, man, it overflows into our children. It overflows into other people. Because none of us, listen, if you're like, man, I just don't love people. Man, you struggle with the same thing I do. Apart from Christ, I'm a cold-hearted sinner that wants self. <laughs> there is nothing good at me except for Christ. And so he's saying that we're commands us to love people, Period. And so I think about all the stories of people that have come to faith in Christ that God has used greatly. All these stories started out with love. And so maybe today you're thinking like, well, you know, favoritism isn't that big of a deal. But verse uh, nine, it says, but if you show favoritism, you sin or are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Forever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking them all. What that's saying is, if, if you are, are wanting to gain your merit in Christ by your ability to keep the law, where you're like, man, well, I'm not an adulterer. I'm doing it pretty good. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a this. I'm not a murderer. I'm not, I haven't hated. But it says, but man, if you stumble at this one point, it's not a point system. We're guilty of them all, right? And so we're, uh, we're in helpless need of Christ, right? That it's not our ability but it's asking for his love to help us live this thing out. That's the whole point. Remember, I said this book is written to people that knew the law and thought they had it all together. And because they thought they had it all together, they couldn't love people. 
Right? They were uh, judging because they were judging their ability to keep and carry out the law. But I want you to know this, okay? In this help of seeing people for where they are and for who they could be in Christ, read with me 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27. It should be on the screen. It says, brothers and sisters, again, family, think of what you were when you were called. I want everybody to think about that. If you're in Christ, remember who you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. Verse 27, but God chose the what? The foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You remember, you love people because you never know who God is selecting for his purposes. It's remembering, man, not many of us were like killing it and then we met Christ and now we're further killing it. No, many of us were in poverty and we needed a savior. And man, as we're loving people, don't see people for where they are. Remember, see them for who they could be in Christ because remember who you were before we came to Christ. This is where we find the motivation of that love, to love difficult people, to keep showing up with difficult people. You know what I mean? To, to, to keep coming to bat and doing right. Like, even though I can't fix them, I'm gonna come to bat for me. I'm just gonna do the right thing. Even when it's painful, even when it's hard, man, I'm gonna love because, listen, I know it's probably caused Jesus a lot of pain to pay, patiently wait with me. It probably caused Jesus a lot of pain but he was patient with me. He worked with me. And this is where we find the source of love. And we see that when we fail to do that, we would rather not face difficulty and love difficult people. We would want to stay where we are. And listen, this is uh, what I want you to know. When we show favoritism, it's a big deal because sin is a big deal. It's a big deal. It says that if we break one, it's just like we broke all of them. And so let me encourage this church. Let's love people. Because love and hatred doesn't work. Our conduct reveals our convictions. Our beliefs control our behavior. Let's believe what God has done in our life and let's believe that we can go and love people well. Even when it's difficult, even when it's hard. Because this is what I believe about churches. Anybody had a bad church experience before in here? You can check. If, if it's been here, man, I'm sorry. But I'll tell you, you hang around me long enough, I'm gonna disappoint you. <laughs> I don't want to, man. I love you with all I got, man. I want to preach the word. I want to see you become who God's called you to be, but I'll disappoint you. But this is what I, I have learned about churches. Churches should be experiences of mercy and hope. Hope and love. At the end of the day, this is what I pray your experience is, his, is here. So let's show mercy and offer hope. And one thing I want you to know is, man, I, James is a hard book. Sometimes I'm gonna save some hard truths but I promise you this, at the end of the sermon, I'm always gonna leave you with hope. Because of Jesus, we always have hope in him. We always have hope in him. And these are the kind of people that we should offer people mercy and hope, okay? The way we behave toward people uh, indicates what we really believe about God. It's so important. And so you're like, well, Buck, I, I struggle with this. How do I look through the lens of Christ? You keep talking about it. The lens of Christ, the lens of Christ. Well, here's the deal. If it's a brother and sister in Christ, you have the whole world. I want you to look at the whole world through two lenses. We have those that have said yes to Christ. They've been adopted into the family. They are your brother and sister. Right? Like that's, if they know Christ, they're your brother and your sister. And then there's another part of the world that we're wanting to chip away at that number who they don't know Christ. So therefore, if they're behaving indecently, listen, they're doing what they should be doing apart from Christ because they got the same problem we do. 
right? And so you're looking at two things of one, those brothers and sisters in Christ, those that don't know Christ yet. Well, listen, this is how we look at things. To the Christian, to the family, look at them and know that Christ lives in them. To the non-Christians, look, Christ died for them. Remember those two things. For a brother and sister, Christ lives in them. For those that aren't in Christ, Christ died for them. So let the motivation be one of love. Amen? Amen. All right, so to finish the passage, let's look in verse 12. It says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so we, we see these two things. We see judgment and mercy. And there's a choice. There's a choice we make of, are we going to choose mercy? I think about, man, it's probably good to say from stage. Big Gladiator fan. If you've seen the movie Gladiator, okay? And then there's this scene in Gladiator where uh, there's a choice to be made, that the king has a choice to make. He's looking into the arena, all right? And he's looking in, and he, he's, he's at this point where one of the gladiators has got the guy, he's got him defeated, and it's basically whether we're going to show judgment, we're going to kill him, or we're going to show mercy. If you've seen the scene, you've seen it where it comes up, and it's either mercy or judgment, right? And basically the lens that he says is that in, in Christ's eyes, mercy triumphs over judgment. And I want to explain that a little bit. If you're thinking, man, well, golly, man, I've, I've done some, some bad things. Or that person, man, they are just, they've wronged me. They've hurt me. They, they, they've done these bad things. And, and, and they, they don't deserve mercy. They don't deserve that sort of thing. And when we, we get hung up on that, man, we just want justice to come down. We want it to go. Listen, if the Bible's true, it says that the wages of sin is death, okay? I want us to think back over our life. And when we look at the cross, which way did God go? God said mercy. And man, when we start there and we look at the cross, we begin to see this fresh love of the Father that he would sacrifice his one and only son, his real son who did nothing wrong, who deserved, I mean, mercy. And he chose judgment on Jesus so he could say mercy to us. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. And when we receive that by faith, we understand mercy. Look with me in verse 12. It says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Now, there are two great judgments. There's the great white throne judgment, okay? That's, that's like whether we're gonna be judged for our sins or we're gonna be covered by the blood of Christ. Uh, nothing you've done will get you past the great white throne judgment. You will never go and fix all your problems to get through. Listen, when we go through the great white throne judgment, we're gonna just say, man, I receive, I have said yes to the blood of Christ and we are forgiven. We're free. And then we go to what's called the judgment seat of Christ where we're handed out rewards for what we've done, what we said, the things we did in obedience to God, right? And so, uh, but the great white throne judgment is not gonna be by your effort, your merit. It will be by God's choice to say mercy through Jesus Christ on the cross. And you say, well, but how, how does it say that we need to act in a way that we're gonna be judged by the law that gives freedom and talking about the law is, is what we're reading. It's the Bible. And you're like, man, this just, maybe to you it sounds like a group, of, a list of rules. And I keep coming and I keep feeling bad and I keep making it wrong. Listen, the whole point of this book, okay, is to point you to Jesus. 
the entire thing, and it is only Jesus that can give freedom, not your ability to fix stuff. It's only Jesus, okay? Uh, the, the law, at best, is an x-ray machine to show us that we need Jesus. When we get saved, we see that, man, we're convicted by sin, but, man, I run to the Savior. That's salvation. When we're growing and, and this word begins to uncover things in our life, we're like, it, man, it's really, run to Jesus, and find mercy and find grace and realize, God, thank you for your love. Thank you. Like when I was up in that cabin, man, I remember thinking, Lord, thank you that you've been patient with me. And Lord, give me patience for those that you love. Give me a supernatural love and patience. Remind me again what you've done for me so that, God, I can love people. Lord, help me. And it is in the gospel that we are saved and it is in the gospel that we are sanctified and we grow that we can love people, that we can uh, uh, see people the same because we see that the same problem lives in them is the same problem that lives in me. Mine isn't better than theirs. No, we're all level at the foot of the cross. Now, I wanna say something, okay, because I know this has been a convicting series, and, and, and conviction is good. Condemnation is bad. Condemnation, Satan says, you'll never be. You could never change. You, you'll never, he, he is constantly throwing your past in your face, throwing your struggles in your face. I wanna tell you something. When you surrender to Christ, Romans 8, 1 says, there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Man, a lot of times we're a lot harder on ourselves than Christ is. Right? We, we run to Christ. There is now no condemnation. Jesus says this in Galatians 5. It is for freedom that I set you free. It's not to throw you into the list of rules. No, I want you to have joy. I want you to joyfully love me and love others because of what I've done. Listen, worship is about seeing God for who he is, remembering what he's done for us every day. And that's, that's what it looks like. That's how you grow in love. That's how we grow in this journey. Because I'm telling you, you're looking at someone who's growing with you that's just as messed up as you are. Man, I'm just thankful that I know the Savior. And that's why I preach, because if you don't know him, I want you to know him too. That's just true, man. That's why we're here. And so let's bring it in. It's probably about time. Um, if you don't know the Savior, I want you to know him. And if you know the Savior and, and God's dealing with you today, man, don't walk away in condemnation. Let his spirit sweetly, gently draw you to himself. Expose the areas he's wanting to expose and it's a good, sweet thing to be convicted by the Lord. Repentance is a good and sweet thing. And it causes our affections for God to grow and it causes his kingdom to grow. And that's what we're about. And a final word to dads. Just remember, rely on Christ's help, be patient. Keep showing up, be intentional. Keep loving. And if you don't know the Savior, I'm gonna invite you into that right now. Let's pray. Our Lord, we love you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for what you're doing, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your grace. And Lord, I just pray right now, if there's somebody in the house that would say, man, like I have never received the love of Christ. I have never surrendered. And, and that freedom you talk about, but man, I want it. Man, I want to know him. And say, today's the day I'm, I'm surrendering. I'm saying yes to Christ. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Is that anybody here today that would say yes to Christ on Father's Day? What a day to say yes and to meet an eternal father. Anybody in the house? Amen. For the rest of us, Lord, I pray as we read your word today, I pray that you would use it, God, to accomplish much. 
and remembering that Christ chose mercy over judgment. God, thank you that you chose mercy instead of giving us what our sins deserve, Lord. We thank you for that. God, we pray that we would live lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. God, I I love you. I thank you, Father. I thank you that you're a father who's patient with your children. God, thank you that you're working on us. God, we pray that you would just continue to, to let us be a church that God just brings you glory, that we love you, we love each other well. We're rich in mercy, full of compassion. Move in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Connection Church Dublin Sermon Podcast. We pray that this message stirred your affections for Jesus. We would love for you to subscribe to the podcast and share it with others. For more information about our church and other resources, please visit ConnectionDublin.com.